0: Welcome to Midweek Matinee, a weekly movie podcast where we get together and discuss one movie, the movie this week being Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor's I Love You, Philip Morris. It's a 2009 slash 2010 release. The long-running problem we've talked about on the show of when a movie's shown at a festival versus when it actually gets released for everyone else. Uh, I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, starting off with Mr. Chris Figgs. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you, Brett? I'm doing well. And Blake, we have you over here, Blake Popes. What's up, buddy? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm I'm okay. I just said I was doing well. Do you not fucking listen? God damn. I just it's a habit
1: when I <laughs> am asked how I'm doing, I always ask how you're doing.
0: I know. Are you one of those guys who's in the like checkout line and they're like uh they're like thank you and you go, you too yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> I always oh, say sweet. I
1: love you when I leave McDonalds.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Uh, anyway i'm teasing of course today we are discussing our second movie for the month of love that falls into the hella gay shit category that should be (laughs) newly coined on netflix soon petitions ongoing uh hey guys can we actually go and do a change.org petition for this i'm sure we can hashtag hella gay shit
2: (laughs) sure netflix will love that
0: hella gay shit goes netflix (laughs) netflix goes hella gay shit who knows but, uh, of course, like I mentioned, this is starring Jim Carrey as our main character, main protagonist here, Mr. Stephen Russell, as well as Ewan McGregor playing the love interest in the titular Philip Morris. Uh, and I guess to start to show off the way that we tend to do here is kind of just get a general reception of how you guys took the stuff. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is both of your first times watching, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay, so I'm going to keep my order here. Chris, what did you think about the Gay shit 2.0? Uh, yeah. No,
2: I, I thought the I thought the movie was fine. It was good. I didn't have really any feelings on it one way or another.
0: All right, well, moving on over to Blake then. How did you feel about it, sir? I
2: thought it was great.
0: Yeah. Uh, I loved it. A little spoiler there. I love this movie. I've seen it. Pro- this is like my third or fourth time watching it. Uh, wow. It's super funny to me. It's really endearing in certain parts, and... As much as the movie is kind of all over the place and goofy, and it's predicts you know it's a portrayal of these things, I do think that the performances are absolutely fantastic. Specifically, this is one of those things where when you watch this movie, to me, it reminds you of just how good of an actor Jim Carrey can actually be. Yeah, I find it- his 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 stuff in this is just so good. Go ahead, Blake.
1: All these comedy actors always surprise me, and I guess they shouldn't anymore
0: yeah yeah i think that that's fair i think at this point uh what's happening in the movies now seems to be when action uh movie actors go off and actually do something that's non action based and really kill it Uh, i don't feel like i see that happen as often but there was a long run of the uh, comedic actor turned serious actor you know when we saw like uh, jack black come into king kong yeah the jumanji movies (laughs) good movies i've not seen either of those i've only
1: seen the first of the sequels but it's good
0: yeah but i was thinking uh talking about peter jackson's king kong that was a big moment for a lot of people was jack black the the funny man as we've now known him to be is playing this super serious actor, you know, actor role. Uh, Jim Carrey clearly had other examples of this throughout his career, with things like Truman Show, um, I'd even you know, things like The Number Twenty Three and whatnot, or and even um, Sonic the Hedgehog, the Spotless Mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog. But he's had a, a, a large number of uh, serious movies or movies with at least a more serious tone. He tends to still find a way to be comedic with his serious movies. I would argue that as much as this is a comedy it's it's also a, a fairly dramatic movie so i think that he tends to like the the extremes that come with both of those kind of like when you see things like a uh, cable man uh or whatever it may be called cable guy what's actually like jim carrey yep the cable guy anyway <clears throat> cable man sounds like a terrible like side shoot dollar general marvel ripoff so kind of going off into uh i guess things that we generally liked about the movie uh did anybody i think this is actually one that makes a lot of sense to start with the way that they chose to open the movie with this kind of staggered storytelling thing that clearly has become something we've seen in a lot of in our lifetimes at least as we are young we've seen it kind of more and more pervasive across games and movies and whatnot of where you kind of show moments of your character in the future or at least in a, you know, not the starting point. And then sometimes you uh, interleave that with, you know, things from the past. And then eventually you find yourself at present day. So of course this movie's first starting setup is us seeing Steven Russell laying on the bed, looking like he's about to die. And then we're bouncing back and forth to these scenes of him as a child looking up at the sky. And it's kind of setting the tone for his basic life, how things came about for him. And then it kind of builds us towards this idea. One of the first real scenes that we see play out fully, uh, that's not just a narrated over scene is his parents telling him he's adopted or I guess technically his brother, his brother. telling him he's adopted. <laughs> uh, but, all of that leading up to what i think is the setup for the character right i think the the emotional core that they're trying to establish at least early on for you and steven to get you feeling with them it leads up to i think setting up the emotional core at least early on to try and get you to connect to steven before it starts showing you that he can be a kind of terrible person so kind of at least that starting point we see him try and you know find his mother and then go from there how did you guys feel about the opening of the movie
1: i think it really hit its stride a little bit later but like there was nothing wrong with the opening it was it was enjoyable still it still had my attention
0: well there's no reason we can't break off i mean we can go into more detail but i mean if you had to kind of quantify at what point you feel like it hit its stride what was that point for you
1: really like once he was like in florida with his new boyfriend Okay. And it's so, really, became uh, really more interesting, you know?
0: Yeah. After, yeah. So once you're, once we see Stephen completely come out of his, uh, closet. <laughs> his closet, <laughs> climb out of his cocoon and be the gay man he always knew he could be. Uh, you know what I love about that <laughs> is right as we're going into that, whenever he has that car accident on the way home and, uh, he's discussing all that and he's talking to the, uh, the paramedics are picking him up and he's like i'm gonna buy what i want to want and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna fuck who i want (laughs) to (laughs) fuck
2: all right sir
0: well there you go chris i see you've suddenly gotten vocal uh what'd you feel about the opening of the movie wow um the opening of the movie was uh it was good no
2: I, i liked it i liked the setup yeah i think i agree with blake the movie was much better in the second half ish second half ish like second third three last three quarters.
0: Yes. That that, that makes sense. Okay. So the twenty five percent setup was not as good as the seventy five percent payoff. Yeah. <laughs> for the rest of it. Okay, I mean I think that's that's fair. I mean, really the movie the start of the movie is more getting you It's setting the tone for I think why you'd see this character act as crazy and erratic as he does, and it's because You know, the scene where he goes and finds his mom and the mom shuts the door on him and you kind of see him break down and kind of go back and forth on the emotional scale of being like calm and reasonable to being like reasonably upset and being like, you know, why did you abandon me and whatnot? And I think it's kind of supposed to set up the way that he treats other people and but also we have the infamous scene that i always describe to my friends whenever they go to watch the movie just because it's, it's not it's so much of a trigger warning actually i've gotten to the point where i don't tell everyone but i've told certain people like hey there does come a point where it gets very graphic very quickly so expect that there is some i don't want to say graphic i guess that's not really fair it yeah. surprises you it changes its energy very quickly and it's no worse uh, than like like wolf of wall street or something Exactly. It's no worse. That's what I love about the scene is how innocuous it looks at first. All you're seeing is Jim Carrey with his shirt off, thrusting his hips, and saying he's going to come and it's only really surprising when you don't go into this movie completely knowing what it is which i guess with the title like i love you philip morris is a little harder to pull off (laughs) but even if i knew what it was it's still one of those things where it's like oh okay yeah this is where it took off the kid gloves and was like yeah this is what this movie is i'm gonna let you come off on this first chris so you said you're kind of in agreement with uh blake now you you seem to mention the latter half of the movie before you kind of came back I mean, do you personally find that the movie actually finds its stride, not necessarily when they first have him come out and then change the stuff up, or do you find that the movie actually hits its stride once we get the relationship with Philip actually fleshed out?
2: The thing about the beginning of the movie was not that it was bad, but it was very boilerplate setup, and that was kind of where I was like, I've I've seen all of this before, done some other way, where the really once... Really, once he gets in the car accident and the movie kind of turns, or I guess when you get the jump scare, uh, <laughs> according to you. Um, <laughs> the jump scare. <laughs> uh,
0: that's we when, see the creature fling his head up and say, <laughs> Do it, man! Do it, come man. in my ass! Why <laughs> um, what does that sound like a South Park scene?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. That was just when the movie became something more interesting than anything else you know
0: well i think it's like where the movie finds its charisma right because i think that the problem with the and i'm going to say problem i think it's i think it's on purpose the whole point of setting steven up the way they do i think is to give you more of a feeling for him later but it's also setting him up and showing him as this boring everyday person that you'd almost be like why would you watch a movie about this guy before ripping the band-aid off and being like here's where the charisma comes into play because we see that he has the ability but it's it's almost like when you're watching the scenes and you think back it's kind of that thing of where some people be like oh it's a gay man who's trying to hide the fact that he's gay because clearly he has a wife and a lot of stuff going on, but once we kind of see everything come off and the and the wreck happens and he decides oh here 's my epiphany i've had my moment it 's like where all of stephen russell 's charisma just turns on and you see every bit of Even the technically bad parts of his character come to light, but even the bad parts of his character are really fun to watch. Yeah, I don't disagree with all that. I don't know. I've kind of done this before where we kind of forgive
2: certain parts of the movie because of the way it's trying to set up. And I think that's kind of what I'm hearing a little bit where it's like not that the beginning was bad because it wasn't bad and it was, I guess, ostensibly purposefully boring,
0: Yes, that's but what I I'm doing. I'm not yeah, necessarily okay, so apologizing, that- other than saying that if if it wasn't on purpose and you can just argue that it was like oh you could have done a little more to spice this up but if it was on purpose to set up a really boring thing so that it feels like more of a jump once we see the the gloves come off then that's cool and i could see yeah. why they chose to do that it doesn't mean they couldn't have done something better but if it's purposeful at least it's like okay i see where they were trying to go if it yeah. wasn't they could have done better
2: i don't know i just i guess the only reason i mentioned is because i just think this is gonna sound weird but you can you can do boring without being boring and i think that was the problem with this is like at least the beginning again because i liked the movie but just the beginning wasn't great to me and that was just because like just because someone's boring up until a certain point doesn't mean it has to be boring or they could have just done what they did at the end and showed him they could have just showed him getting adopted and then had a i don't know a scene of the courtroom where he talks about his life you know and i think that would have been more interesting than what they did and you're right it does show it does show like oh that he was boring before i just don't necessarily think that's a good reason to do something boring
0: (laughs) yeah i don't i wouldn't say that i was bored throughout the front but like you said it feels like boilerplate setup so it feels like there's less of a reason to have to be involved now i know the first time when i watched the movie um, I, di- I was paying a little more attention and I didn't quite have that feeling but when you're going back through it it kind of feels like uh, the beginning of Kingdom Hearts 2 where it's like it doesn't mean what's Kingdom Hearts 2 is a much better that's not a fair example. Kingdom Hearts 2's beginning is really good. It's just when you're playing it again, you're like, ugh, I've done this. I don't care. So to your point, when you feel like you've seen this elsewhere, regardless of it's even if it's the same movie, and you look at it and go, oh, I've seen this elsewhere done this way or that way so many times, yeah, it's fair to look at it and say that, Um What I I find most weird about the beginning, and you might agree here, is that I actually think the very beginning, where they're doing the interleaving shots, where you're seeing him on the bed and then seeing him as a kid, and it's kind of vague, and you're kind of wondering what's going on. I actually think that's mildly interesting, but then when it cuts off and does that long stretch of kind of seeing him with his wife and whatnot, it does air more on the side of getting boring.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I just... I don't know. Again, it's not even necessarily a flaw. It's just I think of stuff I've I've watched where they're doing this kind of intro. Yeah. And it was just more, I don't know, engaging. Because that was the thing. It was like mm. every beat you could kind of tell. You're like, oh, this guy is in jail. And then he goes to his mom. And you're like, well, this isn't going to go well. And then it doesn't go well. And then you get scenes that are... I think a lot of the beginning is that the only reason the scenes are good is because Jim Carrey acts well. Yeah. You know, and like <laughs> That's he, fair. That I think that entire scene with the mother was almost unnecessary outside of the fact that Jim Carrey sells it as devastating, but I don't know that any other actor would have made me care. Sure. And even then I didn't particularly care. Point. I just found it interesting to watch. I'm like, "Oh, this is funny. He's taking the mat and he broke the sign and he's really emotional." but <laughs> yeah i've seen yeah them. i do agree with you that it, part of what sells it really is jim carrey yeah and that's a compliment to him that's not a a bad thing i just think it affects it affected my enjoyment of the beginning cuz that was when i was still like settling down and i was still like looking at my phone and doing other stuff and i didn't put my phone down until he goes into the
0: the the ambulance sure so can i just have a curiosity because i think i actually may know one of the ones that you're talking about uh but you you say that you can do boring without being boring and I, I think that as a statement that's clearly true but i'd be curious to hear an example as to what you find would be a good example of that one that comes to mind that i think may be playing around in your head because i know you've also seen the series and really love it mm-hmm. uh, breaking bad comes to mind with that kind of idea
2: it does i don't know maybe this is a hot take but i would I don't think so. I think the entire beginning of interstellar is boring, but not boring. If you know what I mean. And having I so not you not haven't seen interstellar. Seen or it's hard to tell, but, but Blake, you can probably test this. We're like outside of the fact that it's, I guess maybe mild spoilers for the beginning of interstellar. Skip 30 seconds. It's, um, dystopian life, but it's just life until about an hour into that movie when everything else happens but none of that beginning hour of interstellar is anything less than riveting but it's it's literally just people going to school and doing regular stuff outside of the fact that it's a dystopia (laughs) i actually disagree i will say that it's not there's nothing like super like
1: exciting happening right so you're not necessarily wrong but there's a lot of interesting things happening like you know, they turn all the plates upside down so they don't get dust on them because the dust is so bad. right, or but they, that's they my talking about the moon landing is fake. you know there's a lot of interesting things happening yeah, but,
2: but that's my where, my point is not that not that the stuff happening is interesting, but it's everyday stuff you're talking extent, about sure. but you're talking I mean, about the details nothing happens, yeah you're talking about the details that I'm talking about where those small details are what makes it interesting, whereas yeah, yeah. this is not that. Right yeah, this is I think you can still details. exactly, yeah,
0: I think you could still pull that off, but I think a good example as to just kind of talking about there is that I think the difference between that is that this movie is still trying to be based off of a true story, now, how loosely or tightly based it is off is uh, something I 'm still very curious about i've often said I want to do more research on it, and I 've yet to do it, <laughs> uh, but you're also looking at something that's trying to maintain more of a oh based on reality again, who knows how tightly. Whereas I think one of the upsides that you know something like Interstellar, where it's still trying to be grounded, but it's also like, oh well, what we're doing we're setting up kind of we're building the world out by being like Blake mentioned. I don't know what it means, but saying things like, oh, where they turn the plates upside down so they don't collect dust. I'm assuming that that's things that kind of build you into what it's like to live in this world. Yeah. And what I think that that's there's more of a reason to do that in a movie like Interstellar. Even though I haven't seen it, I know what it's a. I know the basic idea behind it. Uh, premise-wise. So when you look at that and look at this, your, your statement as a whole is true. You still don't have to be boring, but I wonder if there was a conscious effort made to not go too crazy because of an effort to try and keep it being like, well, this is still... We want it to be like, oh well this is based off of a of a real story. And yeah, I, I guess my opinion on that will change more once I realize how true to these things it stayed. Like, you know, if you actually think about the beginning of this movie, right? Did this man one hundred percent find out he was adopted? Did he go and get married to a a woman who was super Christian-y and did all these things and then he had a car accident and he suddenly was like, my epiphany? Or is that kind of movie hot, you know, oh, we're going to spice it up with movie magic and kind of write it in a more interesting way. I think that that's the crux over how interesting these things are, but then that is technically interesting outside of the movie and not necessarily within the context of the movie. So at the end of the day, the point still is that the setup, while it does its job, could have been more entertaining. And I think some of what you could probably do there is cut the time. Um, I wouldn't say the movie's excessively long, but at an hour and 48 minutes and looking at what the intro is, it almost seems like you could cut a solid 10 minutes from the beginning and be fine. Moving into once we kind of see him, where the fun starts. Right. Is it specifically the character of Steven Russell and kind of watching his crazy, wacky antics that pulls you into it? Is it specifically like the... Will they or want they of the Philip Morris relationship or is it kind of just like the thing where you're watching a guy make a bunch of mistakes and even though you're like this guy keeps making the the same dumb mistakes, but I'm going to keep watching just because it's like watching a car crash
2: <laughs> well, I think And that's not, not to harp on the beginning and more to illustrate my point is I think this is where to your credit It goes from him being a very boring person to him being a very interesting person and that's, like, once he's in Florida with the two dogs and the the, the get-up, I guess, it, that's kind of when it hits his stride where it's like, okay, now he's interesting to watch. That was kind of where I was going with my problems at the beginning is he wasn't interesting to watch. So once he becomes more interesting, it's a lot easier to sit down and be like, okay, I want to see what happens next.
0: Yeah, sure. Blake, same question kind of to you. I mean, is there a specific element about the part that you click uh, you cling on to i mean of course you mentioned that much like chris just said too that as soon as you kind of see him walking on florida with his boyfriend and his uh you know his new far more character feeling outfit it's like he's almost so plain in the intro that he feels like an every man he doesn't even feel like a character which can be a good thing depending on the story you're telling but is it was it just that that suddenly got you in or even past that was there something that finally kind of gripped you and thought oh this is what i'm wanting to watch this movie for
1: yeah well like you said i mean i think the beginning being kind of mundane and like everyday was very intentional because it wanted you it wanted to show you that like Once he, like, had that epiphany, he was, like, out of his shell, you know, out of, like, the closet, technically. But, you know, like, he was out and just super proud and colorful and vibrant, even just his personality and everything, you know? Yeah. But as soon as that, like, coin flipped in the movie, like, kind of just went in a completely different direction. And with, like, him doing all, like, the petty crimes in the beginning and stuff, like, um, I don't know if it's technically a petty crime. I don't know what the definition of that is, actually, but... Like, you know, credit card fraud, and that kind of shit. Like, yeah, low-level yeah. shit. So, like, that was all really interesting and fun to watch.
0: Yeah, sure. So, actually, that brings up something about the movie that... I'm curious as to where you stand because it, it, it manifests itself here, but then it comes back to play later in the movie as kind of a plot point to a degree uh, in two different spots. Um, so throughout all this is when we see his first boyfriend that he meets and he calls the love of his, the love of his life Jimmy. And the setup for seeing how him and Jimmy's relationship goes, even though we don't see near as much of him and Jimmy as we do him and Philip Morris, which is smart considering that your movie is about Philip Morris. (laughs) 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 Um, it does a lot to set up your expectations about Stephen and the way that he views relationships. So for me, you know, it's like when you're watching that and you're kind of seeing it go down, and like you mentioned, you're seeing these, I don't think they're petty crimes. I'm actually pretty sure that uh, identity theft is a felony. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, that's what, I mean, I just meant petty, like, compared to, like, the corporate embezzlement and shit that he did later. I mean, I was more sure comparing yeah. the two, I guess. I yeah,
0: mean. in in scale, it's far less yeah <laughs> but uh yeah when you're seeing that and you're kind of watching him go and of course you see all these other things it's you're kind of seeing it's like oh well you know he cares so much in these relationships but his idea of what a relationship is supposed to be about seems skewed to being all these things that are frivolous and almost don't matter and even though throughout this whole movie we see uh him and philip morris and his thing is like i'll do whatever as long as it just means i'm with you but it really isn't that, right? Every step of the way, it's like, well, it's not about just being with you. And he has a line that he says whenever he's doing the corporate embezzlement, right? Where he's like, I don't know if it's because I was bored uh, or because I saw the opportunity or because it was just a, you know, the the, uh, the dullest fucking place I've ever worked or whatever he mentions about the place. But he's like, or they were dull. And he's like, I decided to rob them blind every step of the way it's almost about money like you know you see him with jimmy and he's going and getting these two very expensive watches then he moves on and even though he's clearly sad about jimmy and everything that happened there he's going on to philip and everything about philip is all about what he can do with money it's like you know oh how can i show philip that i love him i can get the screecher beat the hell up using my (laughs) you know my currency of what we're led to believe in the movie is just sucking dick left and right (laughs) (laughs) so In that, I mean, how did y'all feel about the movie spending time specifically on Philip? Did you think that it was important to show so that you had a feeling for how things were going to go with Philip Morris at that point? Or did you think more that it felt like an unnecessary step forward? That's more of a curiosity because I think about the movies even at an hour and 37, let's call it. That doesn't make it an extremely long movie. But I'm curious if either of you feel like there's points where this movie feels like it could be cut for the betterment of the movie or if you feel like everything was in here for a relatively strong reason so uh i'm gonna go blake first what do you what do you think there bud
1: i can't really think of anything that could have been cut i mean i'm sure there are scenes that if they weren't there it wouldn't have like made a difference sure but just out of like the top of my head i can't think of anything that i would have liked to have been cut does that make sense
0: yeah well, and Chris, you may have something and you, you may not think sure. anything of this or feel like it's worth noting or anything, but I bring up Philip because Philip comes back as a plot point about why he feels so strongly about him needing to protect and take care of Philip, but it also comes back as kind of a plot relevance point when he's faking his death, which we'll get to in a little bit because there's a lot to that, <laughs> but you, know, you have that kind of back-end thing of him knowing how to adequately fake it because of watching Philip go through it or not Philip I'm sorry um watching Jimmy go yeah. through it so when you're watching that i mean how did you feel about at least if nothing else the amount of time spent on Jimmy i mean i liked Jimmy i think he's an endearing character and he does a good role in the movie and a lot of things play back out but did you feel the same
2: i mean i i didn't have a problem with Jimmy i think i think it was important to have the Jimmy stuff because it shows philip's um idea that spending money he he likes to buy love basically stevens i I just did it too so (laughs) yeah go ahead but yeah i think steven just likes to buy love and i think that's what he's doing the whole time with jimmy and it's showing you that and then it escalates that later with philip like everything i would imagine like losing jimmy i don't think that happened while he was in jail right it must have happened. No, well, it was
0: yeah. The the movie later says it's while he's waiting to go to jail, so it's kind of like in his in between.
2: Yeah, I think that loss and then not wanting to lose someone else, and I feel like the only thing he knew was spending money for that. So that's what he did the whole time with Jimmy, which is what I think they were showing. So when Philip comes out, uh, when the relationship with Philip starts happening, he starts throwing more and more money at it to kind of make it work this time as like his solution to all his problems, basically
0: sure and now you know what's weird about it is i feel like the whole and that's where i was gonna go with so i'm glad you kind of mentioned that is that money is clearly like i mentioned shown to be like a big source of what he thinks is supposed to make things work but i also think it's this thing where i'm not saying he doesn't love philip or love jimmy throughout the events of this movie right but i think what ends up happening is that you see a number of things where it's his selfishness outweighs his ability to love so it doesn't mean he doesn't love them but he doesn't love them enough to be selfless and one of the big moments is whenever we first kind of see the credit card uh you know theft stuff come to its head and he sneaks out of the hospital and he's on top of the car um you know whatever you call that the parking garage thing and he throws his shoes into the dumpster with the waist and he's about to jump in and Jimmy says "Steven, stop you know uh, I, I'll never speak to you again if you don't do this and then I guess you can say that it was implied that it was a hollow threat but it meant basically nothing to him you didn't even see him really wince it was more like the oh I'm going to have to go to jail I'm going to get caught and there's going to be rep- you know repercussions for this so Screw Jimmy and my love for him right now. This is self-preservation mode. Let's just jump into this thing. And then we see that happen again and again as we kind of see him repeat similar mistakes with Philip. Throw more money at it and throw more costs into the wind and not worrying about what Philip asked him to do, but doing what he thinks is going to be best to, to further himself. So it's like the movie's a story of selfishness being shown off as selflessness or at least not shown off as <clears> him perceiving his selfishness as selflessness does that make sense yeah absolutely yeah I, I just think that's a big crux of the movie right is that you just constantly see him doing more and more and more and justifying it by saying he's doing it for Philip but he's really never doing it for Philip he, he's almost always doing it for himself I think there's moments of clarity in the movie uh, <laughs> but it it really just comes down to what we see at the end. It's almost always about himself. Yeah. Um, I would even go, go, ahead, go ahead. I would
1: say the only thing I do want to add is that I think some of it stems from like abandonment issues with his mom. Exactly. And that he doesn't yeah. want to lose someone because of that.
0: Yes. And, and I, that's what I was saying. I think the, that goes back to the the setup being somewhat necessary, even if it technically could have been done better though i still agree that there's some it seems to be some level of purposeness uh, purposefulness to it but yeah I, it seems like a lot of his erratic behavior comes from the telltale signs like you know we've seen a ton of stories where it's about kids being adopted finding out they're adopted too early and not knowing how to deal with it and then being adopted knowing you're gay in a world that you know definitely in the time period with this movie's talking about is still not necessarily the most accepted thing in the world uh having to kind of hide behind it with a wife who's just so christian <laughs> uh and then kind of just continuing to see that down and then finding your mom finally and the abandonment sinking in even further because it's like even now once you're an adult and she doesn't have to have the responsibility of you she still doesn't want to give you the time of day so i think there's a big case for why steven's built why steven ends up the way he is and i think that's why throughout the movie despite seeing him be a selfish dickhead basically you still or at least i personally still found him to be endearing as weird as that is
1: yeah it helps that he's jim carrey too
0: yeah i think it's hard to look at jim (laughs) carrey and not find him endearing right
1: i will say just real quick before i forget to add on to like the wife being super christian the scene where he sends her all the money and she's like, this isn't God's plan. He's like, you trying
0: to tell me you know God's plan? She's like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part about that is directly after whenever the kid opens <laughs> the it and it's also it. just a wad of money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't remember the quote she says, but you hear it like over the phone when it's, show, it's showing Jimmy and uh, Steven riding in the car. And it's just something that sounds like the... You know, like, oh, the super Christian lady would say to avoid from having to say anything actually bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. She kept cracking me up. I love her, though, Leslie man. oh yeah no, she's
0: hilarious in that role my wife was watching it with me and she forgot because she's watched the movie this is i think this was her second time uh she was like oh i forgot that that was his wife and she does a great job of being like a straight man for comedic relief basically because she's never really doing anything that in itself is actually funny she's just being the straight character for jim carrey's goofiness to end up rubbing off of even small stuff like them praying and every time that he thinks the prayer is about to be over he just keeps trying to get up and then she adds one more thing
1: (laughs) i'm just so happy
0: (laughs) oh man i think now that we're through a lot of that right i think we're to the point we can start talking about the philip stuff so uh, you know blake just because you seem to be a little bit more on the side of loving the movie than chris i'm going to start with you and then i want to go to chris so that we can kind of hear The two different sides of like what made you really excited about it and what kind of made chris like like it but not necessarily love it so for you once we get into the crux of the philip morris stuff which is you know it takes a long time to get there but once we get there it really does kind of become the focus of the movie so that's all tied in with a bunch of other stuff of course him being with philip has is is got layers and layers and layers of manipulation and him doing what he's always done to get himself in closer with philip and then go on as we see throughout the rest of the movie but what i mean how do you feel about all of that and what is it about all of the movie once we meet philip moving forward that you found to make you think oh this movie's great
1: i just really think they had great chemistry like is the biggest thing
0: okay yeah between their performances
1: yeah just their two characters i think they worked really well together and they seemed like they really did love each other you know it didn't seem like kind of forced or anything
0: sure yeah no um, i agree with that i think the performances are like i said earlier they're absolutely stellar throughout this movie yeah. um well, did you have, you know, cuz this movie is just a story of crazy breakouts and and continued attempts to do whatever it takes. Did you have a favorite, you know, kind of moment that either got Steven into trouble or about him trying to get himself out that just really stood out to you and made you just stick with it and be like, "Ah, that's hilarious or endearing or just wacky."
1: I mean, I think the obvious answer is when he faked dying of AIDS to get out of prison. <laughs> like <laughs> there's nothing that could top that i don't think (laughs) yeah you know it's kind of a loaded uh, question when that's the only right answer
0: (laughs) I, i guess it is a loaded question so as we prepare to move over to chris and talk about a little bit of that stuff i guess right now we can go ahead and kind of come to the the cancer scene so setting the stage a little bit in case you've watched the movie uh you know and not refreshed it recently but are listening to this episode uh we see him go to the doctor and the movie does a really good job of framing it with what information they give you so we always we see is him throwing up not or not eating <clears throat> throwing up continuously losing weight and then kind of can, going further and further and further until he's brought into the doctor at the place and where we are led to believe that his T cell count if I'm remembering what it is is uh, low enough to uh, be indicative of AIDS and then it kind of goes from there and that's where i think this movie is at its most it's it's a mixture of being the entirety of all of it once it's said and done and we realize that it was all a ruse and it was just so expertly crafted it's impressive from the aspect of it being like a ruse it's utterly sad as shit throughout the parts where we're still leading this to believe that this is actually what's happening and it's also hilarious with all the stuff that comes from it. Uh, so, while we're on that scene, and Chris, while we're going to you anyway, we're going to start you off with that scene. How do you feel about that, uh, or what was your reaction to that once it kind of started, went on, and then turned itself out to be that it was all a hoax? Um,
2: no, I really bought into him dying. So I guess the movie did a good job portraying it. Um, I guess it's it's weird because. The movie's based on real life, so this obviously happened, but it was hard oh. to suspend my disbelief that entire, like, no, I'm
0: still alive. It's like, ah, how? <laughs> you know? <laughs> are, are you talking about once we see Ewan kind of get the he's gone look from the prisoner, and then, no, like, what? not even a minute later, we see the cop come and get him and take him, and he <laughs> says, Your lawyer's here, and then you open the door? Yeah, basically. Yeah. I was like, Gotcha. But once they
2: really, like, flash back, and they show the process. It's like what? <laughs> like, yeah, this it's is,
1: absolutely absurd.
2: Yeah, the only reason that I believe it's it could happen is because apparently it did. But
0: <laughs> well, see, well, that's the my thing problem thing is with like, true
1: story movies is that, like, like Open Water for example is a good one because it's based on true story. But the story is about two people who were left in the ocean and then like were never found again. And so you don 't have is any kind of reaction. in the ocean, yeah, so like literally none of that movie is true, except for the fact that there was two people in the ocean one time, <laughs> yeah,
0: I think the difference here, right, is that these are people that still exist. Philip Morris has gotten out and could have been contacted about every bit of this doesn 't mean he was, but he could have been, uh, and there are people to talk to about the events there 's um, people who caught him. So they kind of know at least one side of the story. It's almost like the Titanic, right? You can say that the Titanic is something that really happened, but no one would say that everything that we watch in James Cameron thing is 100%, but at least the Rose part of it as we're led to believe, you know, throughout all that stuff, most of that was probably at least founded in reality, but there are strong examples of based on a true story when all it is, is a basic premise Two people get lost in the ocean and then die. <laughs> well, what can you do in between all that? Good point. We can do whatever we want. So to Chris's point, it when you're watching the movie, I think part of it is that we're watching a movie about this in a time period where we feel like it'd be so hard to do this. But as we know, this movie is taking place in like the 90s. So how crazy – is it to actually think well was it hard to fake your death and fake all these papers and whatnot in the 90s if you really just had the mind to do it that's the question at hand and then the the second question comes down to did this actually happen and that's why i often say i want to dig in and see how much of the, the the actions that this movie depicts are true and then even if you look at the overarching actions right like say it's true that he faked hiv and faked his death how did he do it how accurate is the movie to portraying what he actually did to do it or did they just use that old writing room magic to spruce it up and make it more impressive so to that degree i kind of see where chris is coming from but chris you can continue Mm -hmm. about your thoughts on that We just got off for a second no i mean there wasn't
2: much I, i i liked the scene a lot like i said it was very emotionally affecting um it was just hard to suspend disbelief on it where it's like i just don't I get what you're saying. Maybe the it being in past, like a lesser technology age, I guess might might help with getting away with that. But I just feel like, and I I mean, the movie does mention it, where nobody bothered to test him again. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, like nobody bothered to check him again. You know, that seems very convenient to the point where, like, if this movie wasn't fiction. I think that would be something people talk about like that doesn't make any sense that that's a plot hole you know which is interesting
0: well I don't know I mean isn't it one of those things where if you see that he has AIDS and then he never shows signs of getting better and he seems to be so far gone that there's nothing he could do about it in a time where AIDS research was not very far along I guess that there wouldn't necessarily be in the late 90s or whatever time period this takes place in the 90s there wouldn't be a strong impetus to be like, Oh yeah, we need to give him another test. I mean, as far as what you see, you have a test and everything else is just kind of a manipulation. But across the board, I mean, like I said, it's still presented in such a way that I think the reason the movie goes so far as to include that line of, and not one of them thought to test me for AIDS or whatever, an HIV test (laughs) is to kind of mention just how crazy it actually is. Yeah, no, it's definitely nuts. Um,
2: I don't know. It's not a bad thing by any means. It's just like I said, if it had been in anything else, we would be talking about how it was a plot hole. But because this movie is (laughs) based on real life, like it's hard to make that argument.
0: (laughs) Yeah, true. So you mentioned that that was like a really uh, emotional scene coming up until the point where we kind of pull the curtain back and see that he's still alive. Uh, I remember the first time I watched this movie. I, I didn't like ball, but I teared up. Whenever we got to the part where we see him actually do that uh, and go through and we hear that very emotional kind of phone call where we hear we hear Philip basically I don't want to say forgiving but basically more saying like listen you're about to you know there's not much we can do you're probably about to leave this earth but I want you to know that I loved you even for who you were doesn't mean you're a good person but i know that you were trying to do it yeah and what you thought was a good thing for me and that's a it's a really strong performance from jim carrey it's a really emotional uh, even if it's technically at that point essentially a voice recording uh, from on ewan mcgregor's side and i think it speaks volumes to kind of what blake was talking about where even in this moment where they're not on screen together the chemistry between the two characters just over a phone call seems palpable definitely And it really helps to sell that moment. Uh, So Blake, while we're talking about that, uh, how do you? I mean, you you brought it up, but I mean, kind of looking a little deeper into that, aids you know scene. How do you feel about all that?
1: I mean, kind of like Chris said, it's just in in any other movie, it would have been laughable. Like it would have been funny because I mean, it's still a comedy movie. But if it wasn't like a true story, then like it It was convenient writing, too wild. Yeah, exactly. But it's uh, <laughs> it really worked too for the movie. Like I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed the whole. I could, I guess it was more than one scene, but the whole like subplot. I guess you know. But you know, I didn't. Um, I also found out earlier, right before we were recording, I was reading a couple articles about it, and even McGregor actually went and spent time with Philip Morris. Good, and I, I didn't know that. him as a person, and like, in an interview, Philip Morris, the real Philip Morris, was like. Yeah, I mean, he had everything down from my voice, my mannerisms, the way I look and act and walk and everything.
0: That's awesome. See, that's what I love when the people do like based on true story things that still have the original people around to kind of critique the work. Mainly because it's just a funny thing when you're looking at something and being like, oh, you're selling it to me as based on true events. Now let's see how the people who were part of those true events feel about your reenactment. And the fact that he says that Makes me really think to like, is this movie super accurate and just a but with a comedic flair? And also, is it even that? Is it more that this movie is super accurate and they got a very charismatic comedian and Jim Carrey to play it? But in a lot of ways, all the stuff that we're laughing out loud about is really just a little more sacheted versions of what really happened, but just with that extra layer of Jim Carrey's charisma on top. The world may never know. (laughs) It's like the center of a Tootsie Pop. All right, Chris, I want to get into kind of what it is for you that you think pulls from the movie because, and I'm not saying that you're, of course, you don't mean that the movie is necessarily bad or anything, but as you said, regardless of whether you can quantify it or not, you just, you thought the movie was good, but it doesn't seem to have left the impression of great to you. So I guess, what are some things that you feel like Kind of gave you that feeling. Were there things that you felt like could have done better, uh, and just kind of dive into that based off of what it is that you feel like you had problems with, or that you thought the movie lacked? True.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, like, really, my biggest thing is the intro. But honestly, there's nothing bad about the movie. I thought it was good. I thought it was funny. But when I left and finished it, I was like, I'll never watch it again. So I don't really have a good explanation. There's just something about it where I was like,
0: eh. Uh, do you do you have a feeling where if they would have pulled off the first quarter of the movie let's just call it that do you have a feeling that they would have pulled that off better that that might change that opinion at all or do you think just across the board the whole point of what the movie is is just kind of oh it was good I'm glad I watched it once but I feel no reason to watch it again I
2: mean I think inherently given the fact that I didn't like it if they'd done something different with the intro it would have ups what I liked of the movie like i i don't know i think the biggest fault of this movie is that you don't really learn anything about philip morris even though he's the title character and i would have liked to know more about him you learned that he's gullible <laughs> yeah but the thing is like i was watching this movie not knowing that a i didn't know it was a real story and b Sorry. i'd never seen it so i didn't know where the movie was going so at the end of the movie i borderline expected philip morris to kill steven because <laughs> you don't know anything about him, they only he they only scantily um, talk about what he was in jail for, and even then he could be lying again because we don't know anything about him.
0: So yeah, the movie frames it as though he he's not the liar that Philip is, but you don't know it. <laughs> like you mentioned, nothing set up to give you. I, I don't want to say that that's completely true. I think that there's, the movie does more to make you trust Philip and feel. Uh, you know, sympathy for, toward him or even empathy toward his position. But you're right. I, for a movie that's titled after him, which I guess the title is more of like the. It's almost more like a, a calling from Stephen. But it does feel like for a movie about him, we really don't learn much about Philip.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that was part of the problem where while all the scenes showing them together were really good because they had charisma, I never really felt. It didn't feel. It felt like I was being shown how much they loved each other, rather than actually feeling like they loved each other. And that's a problem with with Steven as a character because all Stephen does is buy Philip stuff. That's all you really see of them. You see them having sex and then doing lavish, exper- um, expensive stuff. And the movie kind of relegates Philip Morris to an idea, in a way. Yeah, that's true. Which is potentially part of telling their story but i guess i would have been more interested if i knew more about him and it felt kind of hollow because the person i'm supposed to feel is motivating steven to do all this stuff to me is just i don't know the the movie almost by focusing so little on him makes it seem like if he'd seen another gay guy across the jail yard it could have been him Mm -hmm. You know? yeah
0: that yeah that it was nothing about them too rather exactly you're right it, it's well as much as i like philip's character it does feel like it's a um it, it feels i don't even want to say right place right time because that's not really is but it just it doesn't it feels like it's happenstance that it happened to be philip morris and not that it destined to be Stephen who saw who saw philip that day but blake you seem like you had something to say in regards to that go ahead buddy i'm sorry
1: yeah i will i just want to say that I pretty much agree with uh, like him just buying stuff to show his love, and that's about it. Except when they're in prison for the first, like the first, what, like twenty or thirty minutes of their relationship. Yeah. Well, so, even- like they were very close, and like it seemed like they loved each other there.
0: Yeah, i'm not but, saying you're wrong but to chris's point that what are the, again what do we see we see him utilizing passing notes back and forth which we're we we do not really see much about that on whether or not that's not similar
1: sad. to buying him things though oh, hold what, on we don't yeah. know about that
0: but what's the thing he does with the note he saw he shows that he got he was he managed to pay somebody to get chocolate and put the chocolate in this thing all right. That's the first example. Then we see him use his money or whatever currency he chose to use in prison to pay somebody to beat up the Shrieker. Right. A- a- again, we're seeing the closest thing he can get to trying to buy Philip's love in the confines of what a prison offers. And, uh, Does that uh, make yeah, sense? Y-
2: you could also argue that the notes are just as much him buying Philip's affection, he's buying philip's time out of a boring prison life with the notes he's giving him something to look mm. forward to thus you know making philip need him as oh this is my it's you know he says it in the movie it's been three days where's my note like a, almost like a drug addict you know yeah 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 so,
0: it, it is very much a uh it is got the movie number? goes to yeah, that was really good <laughs> <laughs> I ain't a fucking DHL motherfucker uh, that, so great uh, but yeah Chris makes a good a, a really strong point there I mean I of course the rest of the movie has the feeling of we don't see Philip work we don't understand Philip's motivations now all of that stuff so like Chris says he's not really a fleshed out character and whether it's on purpose or not I do kind of get the feeling that there was this thing about making it be more that it's not that He didn't love Philip, but it was more that he was in love with the idea of what Philip could be. And part of the reason I even go back to that is thinking about what Jimmy told him, where it's like he's so worried about Jimmy saying, like, oh, well, you haven't met the love of your life yet, but you will. When you do, you don't let him go and you do this. So I think it's like a sense of he owes that to Philip, and that's why that's even brought up the way it is in the movie. But going back to Chris's point, while we see him kind of trying to whether it's on purpose and with ill intent or if it's just by nature of him not knowing how to be any different, Stevens' go-to MO, whether intentional or not, is to essentially create a situation in where Philip relies on him. And if you bring that all the way back into prison, he relies on him for the, you know, he relies on him for the uh, the entertainment that comes from the notes and keeping him from being bored. He relies on him in the long run and being able to, and having the guy beaten up, he ends up pushing himself into transferring into the same cell as Philip Morris. So you have a string of things that go towards building a, uh, there's, a there's a term for that kind of relationship, uh, but essentially that's what's going on throughout the movie so i think that there's a fair argument that the entire relationship is built on his inability to do anything other than just buy his love and we're even kind of seeing in a way that that's how he's continued to be with his wife his ex-wife it's like it's all about sending them money and being frivolous with him as well and his daughter it's like the way he shows love to his daughter is not about being around her but by sending her money and things yeah i got you for sure it's a it's a very weird thing. I mean, it's one of those things where I'd love to see an interview uh, if they've ever allowed one to be done. <laughs> Since, who knows, he from what this movie makes me think, if they ever put a camera in the same room as him, he'd find a way to somehow just magically make that an escape attempt. Yeah. So. <laughs> well,
1: he's in the cell for 23 hours a day, every day. Yeah. He's got a 144-year sentence. But he Dude. is eligible for parole, I think, this year. Do you think...
0: This is like technically out-of-the-movie question at this point. But do either of you think that, let's say that what we saw in this movie was even 90% accurate to the man, Stephen Russell, who really lives. Do you think a man like that can change? Or do you think a man like that changes? Not can he, because he can, but do you think he does? Do you think a Stephen Russell let out on parole in... Let's give it 2025, whatever that is. Do you think that he changes? No. I don't know. I mean, I
2: I don't really think people change, so I would say no.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Well, that's technically a little bit of a different discussion, but why don't you think people change?
2: I I just think human nature doesn't allow for change.
0: I guess this technically comes into your feelings of um, free will. No, it's – I mean, no, I – I just don't well i say that to the degree in that changing yourself is just as much as as hard as the idea of what comes in a free will of the discussion which i don't know why we always get on this but the the idea that came to me from that is much like the argument against free will being that your mind makes this decision up before you even are aware of it i think is that at that point do you really change because your synapses are go- are telling like this is who you are this is what you do
2: i don't know i think People themselves don't change. That doesn't mean you can't change your actions. It's the same thing of like every alcoholic th- wants a drink every day. Every drug addict wants to drink every day. Everyone who, almost everyone ah. who quits cigarettes wants to drink every day. People don't change. People, I get your point. People yeah. who cheat on their wives still want to cheat on their wives. It's nobody changes. So no, I don't think he would change. He might not be a con man again. Because I guess that's how I jail, should word the question. But he's right? still it's not, a con man
0: i do agree with you i mean when it's that deep running it's it's more that you it's not that you're changed so much as you fight every day your impulse to do those things so let me rephrase it for you chris do you think this man coming out in parole 2025 it's all fictional but let's say do you think he decides to fight his impulses and does he succeed again based solely off of what you've seen in this movie no (laughs) no i agree (laughs) blake i'm gonna swing the question over to you does this man succeed are you an optimist or a pessimist are you somewhere in between i mean
1: i don't know you know when he gets out he'll be what if he gets out in say 2025 he'll be what like 60 or 70
0: maybe yeah let's just let's say it yeah i think
1: you know i think he might be fucking tired of doing that not wanting to go back so maybe like Brett, like uh, sorry, like Chris said, you know, he might always feel the urge to do whatever like Connie wants to do, but I think you just get tired at some point. You know what I mean?
0: Sure, I think that's a fair thing. I mean, like, two, I think I'm glad that Chris kind of went further into his thing because I do think people change. But you're you're right, Chris, in that it, it's it's more that when we say people change, what we mean is that people change their action. It doesn't mean that they've changed anything inherently about the inner part of themselves that makes them want to do it. It's just you change your ability to fight your want to do things. And that is a big thing because like a good example is I'm I'm assuming you're still going on it. You've been kind of on a uh, trying to get yourself more slim and Mm -hmm. be a little bit more fit. And part of that comes down to fighting your urges to eat when you don't really need to eat to do things that you know may make you inherently want to eat sure like whatever it may be maybe your thing is that i think you had mentioned something about sometimes smoking pot would make you just eat even though you didn't really need to yeah so it's all about changing that part of your action so i mean it's, it's a good distinction to make yes I, I don't i don't think he would change uh i think for tonight the um I guess I'm going to leave it because this is a comedy movie and I like when comedy movies when you just kind of break down and look at certain things that you really enjoyed about the movie. So um, I'm going to start and one of the things that I've never noticed despite seeing this three or four times now uh, that finally clicked with me and it's set up so obviously it's not like they hide it. Uh, I think it just goes by kind of quickly. So if you're not paying attention you just don't think of it. Whenever he gets put in prison for embezzlement uh, he steals that form off of the thing and then he ends up having the um he ends up sending it off to someone and we see someone on a computer going through and editing it and changing it and then it pans out and has that kind of quick goofy shot of the camera slowly panning out to where you see the guy who was changing it wasn't wearing pants and your eyes are drawn to that but if you actually look in the background of that room i've never noticed it's a blue room or like a dark navy room with the light blue clouds on it and it's the same background therefore the same guy of the guy who whips his head up and says come in my ass
2: (laughs) i did not (laughs) notice that
0: yeah i didn't until yesterday and i had to rewind to double check it and i just that was something that was more of a i'm surprised that they decided to go that deep in it and it made me almost want to rewatch it again and see if there's any more weird deep ties like that i doubt it because there's not a lot of opportunity for it but it did crack me up um but is there any other like little scenes or funny things that you noticed or that you just want to point to that were funny moments to you uh and uh, i'm gonna start with chris this time go ahead buddy
2: i mean i think the funniest thing we already mentioned was the uh i know dhl (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that one really got me um, well
0: I think him as a whole right and I can't remember his name right now that character's name is slipping me
2: yeah um, I don't remember but him
0: him, my word is my bond yeah, that's, that's <laughs> that scene the part was also excellent that really got me my word is my motherfucking bond cause
2: that was great cause you have Philip and uh, Steven just dancing having a romantic time in jail and he's just getting his ass kicked in the next
0: cell <laughs> <laughs> turn yeah. it off Just everything about that character is the the right kind of comedic relief to me. You know, you have that situation. Cleavon, that's his name. (laughs) Cleavon. Uh, But yeah, that kind of comedic relief is great because he doesn't play... He's not in the movie for very long and he does just what he should. He's just a grumpy old dude who is clearly taking from the fact that he can do these things and benefiting more and more from it as much as he can. Like the fact that he was even like, here's $5 in prison, which is probably plenty of money. Definitely in the nineties when $5 was a lot more money. <laughs> and then he's suddenly like 10 and then he's like, make sure you play the whole thing. <laughs> and every bit about that is just hilarious. That's a great part of the movie. Um, all right. Well, uh, outside of Cleveland, do you have any other ones that come to mind? Honestly? No, that was really my best one. Okay. Blake, you have any moments that just cracked you up and that you thought were funny? Yeah, the uh when all the
1: kids were like laying in the field and they're like, I see <laughs> I don't remember exactly what they said, so I'm gonna make up words, but like, I see a fire truck. I see a wiener
0: A <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? Yeah, it's a man's wiener. <laughs> My favorite part is that the only other person that saw it was the little girl. <laughs> yeah.
2: I see the wiener.
0: Was that his oh, wife? I see it. Huh? Was that his wife, that little no, girl? You know, Red-haired I hadn't girl. thought of it, but it might have been.
2: That's what I feel like.
0: Yeah, I hadn't thought of it. But it, it oh. wouldn't surprise me. Because it is kind of sold that his wife is like the, oh, you know, we've always been around in this small Texas city. Or not Texas. Where is he from in the beginning of the movie? I can't even remember. Because he moves to Texas.
1: I thought he moved to Florida. Yeah, he moved no, to... He, the- he,
2: I think he, Philip and him he, moved to Texas, right? Uh, what's that? Didn't Philip and him move to Texas? But he had when he came no, out, he moved to Florida.
0: Him and his wife moved, right? You yes, He, yes, he yes. has that housewarming party before he's come out when he first gets to Texas, and um, it's whenever he quit being a, a sheriff. It's it's the in between before he comes out, but after he finds his mom and his mom gets him. So that day he quit the forest and he moved to Texas, yep. and then when he moved to Texas is when he became the the con man and started doing yep. the um you know tripping stuff on the floor and whatnot for him to be able to get we see his lavish lifestyle stuff happen before he even comes out of the closet because you know when he wrecks he's driving a red mercedes at that point wasn't he
2: uh
0: i think so yeah and then we see that come back around later in the movie when he buys one for him and uh and philip but yeah that's a i I, now i think about i want to go back and look and see if that was his wife that would be pretty funny um all right blake you got any other ones
1: no, I think that was it for me as well.
0: One of the ones that cracked me up the first time I saw it, and actually I was watching it like it, out of the side of my eye at my buddy Blaze's house um, years and years and years ago. That's what even I heard about it. Like I barely watched any of it. But I was sitting on the couch and talking to Blaze, and out of the corner of my eye I just see him... Swinging the golf club and just having sand fly up, and he keeps just being like flaming fucking asshole and all that crazy shit. It was, I think it was that it was already funny, but then at the time, Blaze's girlfriend of the time was also like couldn't control her laughter. She was like snort laughing, like it was one of the funniest things she's ever seen. (laughs) So, by proxy, I was laughing at her, laughing at it. So it's a cycle of a bunch of things tied together. So when I see it now, I already think it's funny, so I giggle a little bit. But then I think about Erica just thinking it was the funniest thing in the world. And then it just becomes funny all over again. (laughs) Okay, well... I think that wraps out the episode. Um, I I think we had some pretty interesting talks here, so thank you guys for joining me. Uh, Of course, what we do before we head out to figure out what next movie we're going to watch is we come together and we rate the movie. So with this being a first-time watch for you guys, this is not going to be a re-rating, so that's interesting. It's fun to see. Um, I'm going to start with my original order here. Chris. Yes. This movie that you described as... Good. terrible and awful <laughs> how many stars do you give it out of five
2: worse than irreversible uh <laughs> just kidding uh, i gave it three and a half out of five
0: three and a half respectable i can see that yeah. okay blake mr hands out fives on a golden platter i'm kidding you've been you've not done that lately it was fun to mess with you for a while when you were just doing that super easily but are well, um, we seemingly picking really super fucking easily. good movies
1: huh? to be fair i said to be fair we were picking really good movies
0: we were i'll give you that and we've picked a lot of really good movies recently too definitely chris chris has had a hey, hey. what what are you on a, on a three streak of of five stars across the board or a two uh,
2: i think two maybe three
0: pretty big though all right blake what's your rating a solid four out of five solid four out of five yeah i love this movie but i'm also not gonna say it's it's clearly not without its flaws i think about it and once every year or two i'll be like i'll watch it eventually again and then i'll just get the itch to watch it and i do i'm gonna land right there beside you blake i think this is a solid four out of five i think the performances of the acting within it are five out of five it's some of the best most realistic performances but yeah there's other parts of the movie that are like ah you know it's not like it's the best thing ever but it's an endearing and fun movie to watch so uh if for some reason you've watched or listened to this whole episode and haven't watched it which i'm sure someone has done to one of our episodes at least then go watch the movie you never know what you might be missing out on uh at least if nothing else we give it a a good almost a four out of four a four out of five stars across the board chris's is not too far behind (laughs) so speaking of chris if I'm not mistaken, we have a guest on next week and you you can go ahead and kind of spill the beans on that. But because of that guest who you're bringing on, you're also being our movie choice for next week, which I don't think actually breaks the cycle, but go ahead and talk about next week for us.
2: Yeah. We're going to have, our buddy Mark on. I think he's with um, Geeks and Gamers. Um, but we're watching the Japanese movie uh, Perfect Blue.
0: There we go. Perfect Blue. Now, do you happen to know one of the things we've slacked up on a little bit? Do you happen to know where that's streamable?
2: I have no idea if it's streamable. I don't think it is.
0: Or even purchasable. It's purchasable <laughs> on Amazon. That's where I belong. Well, there you go. If you want to watch it and you don't already own it, go check it out, at least on Amazon. You know it's there. It might be on... Um, it's on hoopla. Yeah. <laughs> is that a streaming service? Apparently. Yeah. Hoopla. Yes. SpongeBob has ruined my mind. Everything I think every time someone says hoopla, I think of it. Yeah, hoopla is
1: one of the library ones.
0: Hoopla I think, unless you boys have something else you want to throw in real quick, we're ready to wrap this show up, is that correct? Yeah, put a bow on it, Frank. Put a bow on it. Okay. Remember, that if you want to find us on social media, you can find my boy Chris Figs over here on Twitter, at F-I-G-Z-2-1-K. Ooh. You can find Mr. Blake Popest over on his, which is Popst underscore Blake underscore 9-2, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, the longest Twitter handle in the world, Blake. You got to shore that up, buddy. <laughs> Clearly, it's not the longest, but it's long.
1: <laughs> Just for that, I'm making it longer.
0: Yeah, if you want to yell at me about any of my positions or tell me that I'm wrong about a movie, head over to the podcast Twitter for my weekly uh, Triangle Squared PlayStation podcast where you can find me every week. If you like hearing people talk about gaming, we do that. Chris also joins me for a side series we do over there called Spoiler Chats where we kind of do it very similar to this show. We choose a single single game and we talk in depth about it. We have one coming up for Near Automata. So if you're into games, go check that out. And... Uh, Give a Chris a pat on the back for joining me over there. He also joined me recently on Triangle Squared so kindly and did a fantastic job. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. So if you want to support this show with more than just your time, which we are always so grateful for, you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as low as a dollar per month. What that does is helps us to be able to have this show hosted as well as all of our other ones without having to dig into our own pockets. So it's supported directly by you listeners who choose to give a little bit more and You can also get early access to this show uh, As well as other perks So go check that out Again, patreon.com slash nartech But the last thing we do All patrons get a shout out at the end of their uh, Of the episodes that we do And our first shout out is going to be to our newest patron this month Mr. Mark Schutz And then we also have Kyle Graham, Josh Jarrell Matthew Green My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson Blake Popes, Kevin Bacon Bits, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Killy, a Kenny, Constantly <laughs> Killing, <laughs> ah, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayres, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, and Richard Schaefer. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. And we hope you're all happy and healthy. See you guys later. Bye
2: bye.